Well, if you haven't already, I would love to have you uh, take out your Bibles and turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter, chapter 4. <clears throat> so this is going to be our last Sunday in the book of Ephesians for the rest of this year. We've been, uh, this is week 9, we've been in the series called Flourishing in Life with God and just kind of slowly going through the book of Ephesians. Hopefully, yeah, hopefully you are not only just learning more about the context of Ephesians, but hopefully you're experiencing it more and more of like what God dreams for you and for your life with him. Uh, And so what we're going to do, just to give you a little bit of sense of where we're headed over the next couple of weeks, uh, next week as as Joel shared, uh, super excited that we have folks from Beneath the Shade who are going to be here uh, sharing. Some of you are going to be sharing uh, what God is doing uh, through that wonderful ministry that we just have so many connections with. And so I think it's going to be really encouraging. Um, Yeah, excited to hear that. Uh, And then it's December. So um, December, we are going to just kind of join Christians around the world in this season of the church called Advent. Now, if you didn't grow up in a church setting that celebrated Advent, it might, again, be a little bit odd, but it's, it's just this very simple way for the church to mark time. And Advent is a season uh, of these four weeks that lead up to Christmas. And it's a way for the people of faith to, to try to like, not get caught up in all of the, the, the stuff around Christmas, the, the secular stuff, the commercialization of it, and all of that. But to, and I love the phrase, I, I shared this last week, my favorite song is Joy to the World, and it's not actually just a Christmas song, right? It's meant to be sung all year around, but there's this one line, uh, I think it's in the second verse of Joy to the World, it says, let every heart prepare him room. And that's what Advent is, it's, it's like preparing our hearts to receive Jesus as God with us, coming to us. And, and so, um, that's what we're going to do for the month of December. Um, and it's a way of, for us, like, I just want to mention this real quick because I don't want to get into it too deep because we'll, we'll save a little bit for December. But Thursday is big day. What, is, what day is Thursday? Thanksgiving. So hopefully you, yeah, have a wonderful Thanksgiving. And what's the day after Thanksgiving? Black Friday. Right. So, so it's interesting, isn't it? Our culture has this, and I don't know exactly why, I didn't do the research about why it's called Black Friday, but my hunch is because we have this, this one day to celebrate everything we're thankful for, right? Gratitude, that's Thanksgiving. But before the sun rises on the next day, while it's still black outside, we're, we're standing in line to buy more things so that we can be more grateful for those things. Is that right? Is that how that works? So, I mean, it's just interesting, right? Um, the Black Friday is the most, um, it's, it's a day of unprecedented consumerism, of shopping, like standing in line and sometimes getting a little violent, elbowing people out of the way to get the thing that we, we want to get. Hopefully none of us, like don't, don't do that. And so I get it, like Black Friday, it's a thing, and, and uh, for a lot of us, maybe, maybe it's good and we get good deals and, and all of that. But I just want to make like, just one appeal to you. Um, if we take all of our cues from Jesus, right, we, if we want to know how to communicate love, if we want to know how to tell somebody that they're, they're worth it, we look at Jesus, right? How did Jesus do that? And the thing that God did not do to communicate love to us was give us a thing. Jesus didn't give us a gift card for salvation. 
what did Jesus do? Or what did God do? He gave us himself. And, and so what we learn from that is that it's presence, like being with one another, not the presence we get each other that actually communicate love and worth. And so you can, I, uh, we're, it's Christmas, we're going to do the gift-giving thing, and that's okay. But like my heart hurts sometimes when, when I, I feel people saying like, wow, we're going to like spend money we don't have, and it's, it's so much stress. I mean, when I said it was going to be December, like you can almost feel the stress in the room, right? Because like there's just like all this anxiety around the Christmas season. I can just, it doesn't have to be that way. Um, that if you were going to ask my kids, you can test them on this. They'll have a little time. But I would almost guarantee they could not tell you what they got for Christmas last year in like two seconds. Could you? Am I wrong? No, they're all looking at me. They have no idea what they got for Christmas last year. Um, but I guarantee they could tell you some experiences that we had. Like um, one of the things that we've done for, uh, for about a decade now is on Black Friday for like the last 10 years, we get up early while it's still dark outside and we go for a walk in the woods. And we do this rain or shine, and again, this may not be your thing, and, and so make this your own, whatever, uh, but we do this Black Friday hike. And so this, um, this Black Friday, we're going to meet at the Wilmont uh, Wilderness Center, um, Stark County Wilderness Center, is that what it is? At 7 a.m., it's like 30 minutes before the sun comes up, so if you want to, to get outside and just be thankful for like, some community and God's creation, I guarantee if you asked them about the hike last year, they could tell you about that immediately. So, all of this to say, all of this to say, we don't have to get caught up in all the consumerism of it. So, we can give gifts, we can, we can do all that, but, but if you find yourself being stressed, remind yourself that it's, it's your presence with the people you love, that that's what communicates love. How are we doing? Yeah, that's December, but a little, little jump start. And then what we'll do is we'll come back to Ephesians, uh, the beginning of the year, and we're going to look at the last couple chapters of Ephesians that are just like, we're going to call it all things new. And I think it'll overlay with like New Year, New Year's resolutions, all that kind of stuff, but just this vision of a new life in Christ, um, that the last couple chapters of Ephesians are so practical and so, so helpful. So that gives you a bit of, a bit of where we're headed over the next couple of weeks. Now, um, this text that David, David Lee read for us out of Ephesians 4, uh, there, there are, in the, in the New Testament, there are lots of metaphors for church. You know the idea of a metaphor? Um, a metaphor is like basically, um, it, you take an object that you can see and touch and feel. It has physicality and substance, but you use it to like talk about something that you can't really see. It's abstract. So you might say, God is like a rock, or God is our rock. Well, is God a rock? Well, no, but what does that mean? Well, God is stable and you know, solid and all of that stuff. That's a metaphor. And there are lots of metaphors for the church in the Bible. Um, the, the church is a family of faith. We've heard that in Ephesians, a spiritual family. And it's like, okay, well, we kind of know what a family is like, and, and so we can think about the church as a family of God, family of faith. Um, a metaphor for the church is a temple. Uh, we, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. You together are being built like living stones into a temple, a household where God dwells by his spirit. Now, are you a temple? Are you a living stone? Well, no, but you kind of get a sense of like, okay, that's, that's what Paul's saying. This is pretty significant. Like, God wants to dwell in our midst, and you're a part of that, and you're, um, you're a living stone in that temple. But the most prominent metaphor for the church 
in the New Testament, and it comes up in this text, is the body of Christ. What is the church? Well, the church is the body of Christ. And you might hear that and say, like, okay, yeah, yeah, I've heard that a lot. But what does it mean? What does it mean that we are the body of Christ? So, like, we confess as Christians that Jesus' physical body is not in the tomb anymore. Like, Jesus, on that resurrection Sunday morning, his, it wasn't just like his spirit was raised from the dead. His whole body was raised from the dead, right? He, God brought life back into his body, and Jesus walks out of the tomb, or, like, floats out of the tomb, or whatever. Nobody saw that part of it. But it, when they walk into the empty tomb, all they see is the rags that were there. His, he's not here. He is risen. So where is Jesus' body now? Well, we would say his body is in this other place, this other realm called heaven that we, we call heaven. And, and by faith, we believe that heaven is not like a long way off. Heaven is not in some galaxy far, far away. Heaven is just like, it's just on the other side of this veil that we just can't perceive. He's close. He, he's like right here in our midst, but we, we just can't perceive him unless he chooses to reveal himself. And so Jesus' body is, is at the right hand of the Father where God is ruling and reigning over all of the world. And Jesus is there. And Jesus sends his spirit into, into like our lives and we become his body. Like, again, this is, this is a lot to kind of get our minds around, but, but that's his presence, his spirit comes and fills us as people and as a church, and we become, he chooses to partner with us to do his work in the world, and we become his body. You are the body of Christ. That's a big deal, isn't it? That's a really, really big deal. Now, maybe you've heard somebody say this, that, hey, 90% of communication is not what you say, it's how you say it. Have you ever heard this? So 90% of communication, 10% of communication are the words you say. Um... But the rest of the 90% is like body language. It's your tone of voice. If I was going to say, God loves you very much, would you feel loved? I said the words. Tone of voice, body language, posture. It's like 90% of communication. And so if we, if God is going to communicate to the world his salvation and his love, the way that we live as the body of Christ is going to communicate a lot. That's what Paul's saying in this. Like the, the, the language we speak by who we are and the way we treat each other and the way we treat the world, this is such a big deal. This is what um, St. Teresa of Avila, this is a saying that's attributed to her. Uh, words will be on the screen here. That Christ has no body but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands. Yours are the feet. Yours are the eyes. You are his body. Christ has no body now but yours. Place, we've talked a lot about places of pain today. Loss, brokenness, trauma, tragedy. And it's like it's in those moments. That's one of the ways the body shows up. We just, we show up. We move toward people who are hurting and we're with them. And we communicate love and care. And we let the, the peace and the hope of Christ come through, the, come through us. Like you are the body of Christ. You to get, like look around the room. 
It's not just individuals. It's us together. And if we could just zoom out and take like a 10,000-foot view of the whole world, what we would see right now is people gathering like down the street and people gathering in other kinds of buildings that look different than us and people gathering like in basements and people gathering in grass huts and people gathering in open-air places all gathered around Jesus and worshiping Jesus in their way, in their context. And we would say like, wow, like God's body is beautiful. Millions of people that you're a part of this today gathered around the world saying, Jesus is Lord, and this is the body of Christ, and we get to be a part of it. Like, this is such a big deal. And so Christ, in Christ, you have a new identity. In Christ, you have a new purpose and a new calling and a new future and a new hope. And the the invitation is to live into that, to live into it. Like sometimes people, they, we get confused because like the Bible, it, it, it has a high calling on us as followers of Jesus. And sometimes we misunderstand and we think that what the Bible is doing is it's setting this high standard and then saying live up to that. But that's not what, that's not what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't just set the standard and say live up to this because it would be impossible, but he gives us a new identity, a new calling in him. He says now live into this. Do you feel the difference in that? A standard versus an invitation, an identity. Live into this. So how do we live into our identity as the body of Christ? This big, big deal. Three things. Unity, diversity, and maturity. So I just want to walk through these these three pieces um, of unity, diversity, and maturity in the body of Christ. Take a look at verse 3. You got your Bibles? Look at at verse 3, if you would. So this is uh, the NIV And it says this, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Um, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Unity is a big deal in the church, in the body of Christ. Um, I I feel like sometimes we read a verse like this, and the way we, we hear it, but the way we hear it is like, make an effort to keep some unity. Like, just, like, make an effort or make, make a little effort. Give it a shot. Hey, you know what? Unity's hard. And so give it your best shot. But if it doesn't work out, it's okay. Just kind of, like, walk away and start over in a different relationship. I feel like that's how we read this text, right? Make some effort. And what does the text actually say? The call to the body of Christ says what? Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort. And, and this is like, if you were going to unpack what do these words actually mean, you could, you could uh, interpret this as exert yourself urgently to keep unity. It's like, it, it, it talks about exertion, and there's effort involved, but it also has this urgency behind it. Exert yourself Urgently, toward what? Toward keeping unity. And the word keep, it's like guarding, watching over something that is precious. What is the most precious thing in your life? Like what, what is your treasure that you, you maybe put in a safe or you, you hide, you know, somewhere else? Like it's in your closet, but you put it like in your shoe, but you slide it all the way to the toe of the shoe because if somebody comes and tries to find it, they're never look, they always check the heel, but they never go all the way to the toe, right? Yeah, that's right. It's like you're at the beach, right? And you take your wedding ring off and you stick it off. I'll put it in the toe of my shoe. They'll never look there. Um, 
What's the most precious thing that you, you guard? That's the idea. You keep it. You guard it. You protect it. Make urgent effort to guard the unity, the unity of God's people. And, and we do this by being humble and gentle. I mean, that's what, that's what it says right before this. Be, be completely humble and gentle. That's what fosters unity is humility and gentleness. And so what do we have to guard against? What's the opposite of humility? Maybe pride, ego. And what's the opposite of gentleness? We could say maybe harshness. So what do we need to guard against in our lives? What, what harms unity is ego and harshness. Pride and harshness. So you might come to me sometime and you might say, Eric, hey, I heard you say this, but your tone, like I have some questions about it. Like your tone was a little off. Like it did not feel like a tone of love and grace and invitation. It felt like a tone that was pretty harsh. And, and I am capable, right, of, because I'm a person, I'm capable of speaking out of, of harshness. And, and I hope you trust me enough that if you hear that from me, you'll just, you'll love me enough to come to me and to say, hey, like this, this is how this felt to me. Can you help me understand? Or like maybe, maybe there'll be some time where um, you feel like, wow, Eric, um, help me understand that because that felt, that felt like it was coming from a place of pride. And it didn't, it didn't feel like it was coming from a place of humility. And I, I, like, I want to like, be as clear as possible that I think, like, man, I think this is, this is what we're called to. And so please come to me with those things because we have to be on guard against pride and harshness because it destroys, be on guard against it in our own hearts, but then love each other enough to be able to help each other with that. Can we, can we do that for each other? So, so we urgently, we exert ourselves toward keeping over, and then thirdly, the unity of the Spirit. Like what the church has, next slide, there you go, the unity of the Spirit. It's not like a superficial unity. It's not like, hey, everybody just get along. Can't we all just like sing kumbaya and hold hands and stuff like that? It's not like this. Maybe we should do that sometime. That's totally cool. Uh, I've actually never sung kumbaya, so that would be, I, I don't even know if I, maybe I have. I don't know. Long time ago, maybe. Um, can you guys work that up for later in the service? Come by on. So it's not some superficial unity. What is it? What do we have? We have the unity of the Spirit. It's spiritual unity. That is the Holy Spirit. That is the glue that binds us together. The, the unity is not in us. It's in Him. And so our effort to keep the unity is to keep Jesus, to keep His Spirit at the center. And then the Apostle Paul, he goes on and he's like, okay, the unity of the Spirit, it, it, it's just reminding us, and he gives these, this list of seven ones. Like in the church, there is one body that God doesn't have a bunch of different bodies. It, he doesn't have, you know, a, a charismatic body and a contemplative body or a Catholic body and a Protestant body or a Mennonite body and a, you know, Methodist body. He doesn't have lots of bodies. He has one body. This is like one one body of Christ. There is one spirit, and he plants his spirit in our hearts, and it is by that spirit, Romans 8 says, that we cry out, Abba, Father. Like the spirit that lives in you, it calls out to God saying, Abba, Father. And if you're crying out, Abba, Father, and I'm crying out, Abba, Father, you know what that means? It means we're brothers and sisters. It calls us to be family. There's one spirit at work. There's one hope, and our hope is not in the Browns, right? Or the Steelers, the Browns versus the Steelers. 
I learned a long time ago. I'm 41 years old. I've been a Browns fan since before I was born. I don't know how that's possible, but it, it's just part of my DNA. And I learned a long time ago not to let my emotional well-being depend on how the Cleveland Browns have done. Oh, it's so good, right? They're 14 of 14. Or Deshaun Watson, he's totally worth $230 million in the second half of that game. Sarcasm, right? And then the wheels fall off. And it's like, if my hope was in the Cleveland Browns, I would be very depressed today. Um, who knows, right? Who knows? Um, but our hope isn't in a sports team. Our hope isn't in a politics. Our hope is not in a government, a system of government, or a political leader, or a certain political party, or if we can just get the right person in place. Our hope is not in that. Our hope is in Jesus, in the resurrected King of heaven and earth. Our hope is in him. We have one Lord like one Lord. And if Jesus is Lord, nobody else is. Nothing else can be. He's Lord. He's in charge. He's the one who is our leader. And we love him and we trust him. And so we obey him. I mean, that's, that's the deal. Like the, Jesus gives us our cues for how we live in this world. If he's the Lord and we're his body, then we look to him to make decisions in life and how we're going to live. There is one Lord. There is one faith. Even though sometimes we express our faith differently, Around the world, there's one faith and there's one baptism. And you might have got baptized by a spoonful of water in private somewhere. You might have got baptized in the ocean. And there is one baptism. You are baptized into the body of Christ. How are we doing? Like, this is where unity comes from. It's not in us. It's in him. It's in him. You have, you have more in common with a follower of Jesus this morning who's sitting on the other side of the world in, in a, a context you would not recognize, that you'd probably feel uncomfortable in, and, and you just imagine, just let your mind imagine that, that man or woman, young or old person sitting on the other side of the world today, worshiping Jesus in their own way, in their own language, in their own community, in their own space, and if you were to meet this person, you probably couldn't communicate because you don't know the language, and you have more in common with that person who is a brother or sister in Christ than you do with somebody in your own neighborhood who doesn't belong to the family of God. Right? Like, because you have the same spirit. You have the same father. You're part of the same body. And, I, like, for us to, to, like, really appreciate the unity of the spirit of what he's doing. Um, man, unity is so powerful. And, and we could, man, the whole sermon could be on unity, and maybe it should. But, like, God loves it. God loves unity. When his people are unified, if he just pours his spirit out into that. Um, it's his spirit that makes us unified, but it... When he sees us unified around Jesus, he pours his spirit out. Do you guys remember the Asbury outpouring that happened early, like February, March of this year? I forget the dates. So it's Asbury University down in, in Kentucky. Uh-oh. Um, and I listened to, if you want, if you just want your heart to just sort of burst open with hope for what God is capable of, listen, listen to the, just Google it, listen to the accounts of David Thomas who was one of a handful of leaders who was just helping steward that outpouring. 16 days on a college campus full of Gen Z. Gen Z, there is so much hope. Right? There is so much hope. Um, and at what God did at Asbury, what he would say is for these 16 days, you know, there were no celebrities. The people who were leading worship, they weren't even that talented. Um, it's kind of funny. He talks about the speaker who spoke on that first day. He's like, it wasn't that great, and he went long. So maybe that's the key to revival is going long. I'm hopeful. Um, 
And he says, but like there were two elements. There were two elements of what happened during this outpouring that, that set the stage for it. One was unity and trust in the relationships that people had for each other. And the second was a willingness to wait on the Lord. Unity and a trust in one another, like one heart, one mind, and a willingness to just wait on the Lord. And like those two things create this container where God is able to pour out his presence. And in those 16 days, like thousands of people made commitments to Jesus. Tens of millions of people around the world got to experience this, just like through the live streaming and all these things. And there are stories of like what God is doing, and it's just, it's just a spark. Like it's just like this, this small touch from God of what God's capable of. And he, God pours his spirit out when he sees unity. Last thing I'll say about unity is this. In John 17, this is, these are the words of Jesus and his prayer for us. And he says, my prayer is not just for them alone, like his disciples in that day, but I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. This is us. That they all may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. So that the world may believe that you sent me. Like, do you hear that? The prayer for unity so that the world will see the body language of unity and so that the world will come and worship and see Jesus. God loves unity. But God also loves diversity. Right? There, God loves unity, and God also loves diversity. Um, and you can see this all over. You can see it in creation. You can see all the different crazy animals in the world that God made, and the trees and the colors. Like, you just look around the world, and you see, wow, there's so much beauty and so much diversity. But there's, there's even in the body of Christ, there's diversity. Take a look at verse 7. It says, but to each one of us, so there's unity, like we're the body of Christ, but then each of us has something different. Each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Verse 11, so Christ gave, uh, himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip God's people for works of service. So there is, there's one body, but then like within this body, God gives this diversity of gifts. And you can read, if you read the New Testament, you'll see lots of lists of giftings. Like you can read 1 Corinthians 12, there's a list of spiritual gifts. Um, you read uh, Romans 12, there's a list of spiritual gifts. And so this is a, a list as well. And these seem to be, these five, uh, seem to be leadership gifts in the church. Like God like, gives this diversity of these five gifts to like, leadership roles in the church. And... Um, let me just kind of walk through them really quickly. So these, these five gifts. The first one is, is apostles. Um, some of you are gifted as apostles. Well, how, how do you know that? Like, well, in, Jesus, or in Paul's day, the apostles were the first ones who actually saw Jesus and who were with him. That's, those are the, the apostles that we, we follow, their testimony of Jesus. But today, there are still apostles in the church in a different sense. These are ones who are sent. Like, if you're an apostle, you love starting new things. Like, God gives you vision. And sometimes you have more vision than you have capacity to, like, fulfill. And, and that's a wonderful gift. Like, the church needs people who are looking to the horizon and saying, wow, like, where is the church going? Who aren't just content with where things currently are. And so maybe you're, a, maybe you're an apostle. You have this gift of leadership in the church. Apostles are often asking the question, what, what's next? Where are we headed? Maybe you start to recognize this in yourself or other people. The church needs apostles. 
Jesus gave this gift. He also gave gifts of evangelists. Now, when we hear evangelists, some of us think of like knocking on doors, handing out tracts, standing on street corners, and like maybe God has used that stuff. Um, but I don't think that's, I, I, I think that's like maybe this one fringe idea of evangelism that some of us are like, well, if that's what it is, I don't want anything to do with that. It's not us. But evangelists in the church, they're energizers. If, somebody's, if an evangelist is excited about something, look around them because somebody else is going to be excited about that same thing. Do you know people like this? It's like, it doesn't matter if it's like the, the coolest album that just came out or a restaurant that just opened or something like that. Evangelists are going to get people excited about things. But ultimately in the church, evangelists are those people who want to share the good news of Jesus. They want to announce that Jesus is the king of the world. He has dealt with evil on the cross, and he has launched God's new world, God's kingdom, and you can be a part of it. And into this broken world where there are tragedies and traumas and all kinds of darkness, there is still light shining, and God wants you to be a part of it. These are evangelists. Maybe you're an evangelist. We need you if you have this gift. Um, The next one is pastors or shepherds. And this isn't just like the, the role of pastor, like in the church, like the, the title of pastor, but it's, it's a gift that leaders have in the church. Shepherds, pastors are caring and compassionate. They, they love to like put an arm alongside somebody and walk with others who are going through crisis. How many of you know it's hard to follow Jesus? You imagine somebody, like maybe you're just starting out on this journey of faith. Right? You're, you're just trying to figure out like your new identity and how you live in this and all of that. It is so difficult because there are going to be a thousand messages that want to pull you back. That, that want to like sort of get their hooks in you and, and pull you back to your old way of living and your old identity and these old labels that were put on you. A thousand different messages. And, and so what we need in the church are these shepherds who just like come alongside of those who are, who are brand new to faith, but also those who have been on the journey a long time. And, and just to walk alongside and to talk through issues together and to pray through issues together and to find Jesus in the middle of all of the stresses and pain. We need these nurturing people who walk alongside of us in our pain. The question shepherds ask is, who's hurting and how can I care? Right? This is, this is what shepherds do. How, how are we doing? Apostles, prophets, shepherds? Is this too much? Do you know the, the rule from drinking from a fire hose? I'm sorry. Do you know the rule? If you do, don't let it go up your nose. That's a bad deal. Um, just take a little bit and then let the rest pass, right? And so, like, Ephesians is kind of a fire hose. I kind of feel like that most weeks. It's like, I, it would take us two years if we just, like, bite-sized it. So it's kind of a fire hose, and it's okay. You don't have to catch everything. But what is God saying to you? Like, just take a little bit. Let the rest go past. The rest is for somebody else. So that was free, in case you ever need a drink from a fire hose. Um, teacher? Um, the fourth gift is, is teachers. Teachers are communicators. They, they love to communicate, and they, they're gifted to communicate effectively. They're able to take the Bible that to a lot of people feels like, man, I, I don't know. I don't know how to make sense of this. I read it, and it doesn't make sense to me. And teachers are able to say, like, oh, this is, like, this is what God might be saying. This is what it meant to the people then, and this is what it might mean today. They, they make Scripture applicable for our lives. Um, Shepherds and teachers. So these five. So God gives these diversity of gifts to leaders in the church. And we need all five of these gifts. And I am so thankful at LifeBridge 
that we have a diversity of these gifts. I'm so grateful for the elders of the church. We've done a gift assessment to just say, like, what, so what gifts do you have? And, and we could, like, pretty easily name, like, oh, you carry this gift. And, man, I affirm you in that gift. And, and it's not just the elders. Like, those of you who are gifted to lead and called to lead in the church, you have these gifts. And I would love, uh, we have gift assessments, and you can kind of figure out, like, what gifts do you have? And how does God want to use you? And how can you lead in these places of ministry in the church? Because it's how God made you to lead. To, to be activated in that. But the purpose of these gifts is, verse 12, is to equip God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. I mean, the point of being these leadership gifts in the church is not to just be like, woo, I'm an apostle, prophet, shepherd. It's to equip God's people. Who are God's people? Everybody. Everybody. Like, to equip God's people for works of, what, do you, what does the text say? Does somebody else have a different translation? David Lee, what did your... Maybe you don't have... I don't want to put you on the spot. Um, your, yours was a New King James that said to equip the saints for works of ministry. Is that what it was? I kind of like that. Who are the saints? It's us. It's not just like those special people that the Catholic Church has said, like, oh, this is like St. Teresa and, you know... All of, all of those folks, it's us. Like anybody who's a follower of Jesus, like you are the saints. You are, you are God's people. You are those who are called to do what? To do works of ministry, to do works of service in the world. So God gives leaders, apostles, prophets, shepherds, evangelists, teachers to equip and to form everybody to be sent out to do their works of ministry so that the body of Christ can be on display for the world around them. Like you have ministry to do. Like, the church is not a place where it's like, hey, there are some people who are engaged and active, and, like, that's where the show kind of is, and that's where things really happen, and then the rest of us, we're just kind of, like, observing. That's not the church. The body of Christ is like everybody gets equipped, and everybody has a role to play that you have ministry to do. You are one of the saints. You are called to ministry. And most of the time, it's just very simply, man, where you live, where you work or learn, and where you play. What is God calling you to in those places? You're already going those places. So to just like walk into your neighborhood, or whatever that looks like, whether you're out in the country or downtown, and you just walk through your neighborhood thinking, God, what are you up to here? Where are you at work, God? And you just listen to the nudges of the Spirit, and you just pay attention, and you, like, you, ha you have conversations with people, or whatever, whatever it might be. Maybe you just pray. But you are partnering with God's work in the place where you live, the place where you work or where you learn, whatever that looks like, to just walk the halls or to, to be around people and say, God, like, who do you want me to encourage today? How can I be a blessing today? God, how can I listen to your voice in this place today? And you just, you do that. Or, or the places you play, where you go and you, you hang out, whatever hobbies you enjoy, whatever teams you're on, you live in that place as somebody who carries the good news of Jesus and the peace of Christ in your heart. You have works of ministry. There are things you can do that nobody else in this room is going to be able to do because they're not you and they're not in that place. Like that, I mean, I think about this often of like, how many people are in this room right now? One of the things I love about LifeBridge is we don't take attendance. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess. I'm just, I'm, I'm going to guess there are 72 people in this room. 96% of statistics are made up on the spot. Did you know that? 
There, there's 72 people, um, let's say, in this room. And um, so that means 72 different environments, 72 different neighborhoods, workplaces, play, school, whatever it is. And just think about the impact of that. Of like, if every one of us walks into those places realizing we carry the gospel. We carry the presence of Jesus in our hearts. We are a part of the body of Christ being equipped to do works of ministry in those places. Do you have any idea of the impact for the kingdom of God that that can have? Like, don't, don't sell yourself short. Don't say that's somebody else's job. Like, press into this. And lastly, this is the diversity of, of gifts and calling. And the last thing is maturity. Like, the purpose of this whole thing is that we grow up into Christ, so we become mature and complete. Um, verses 14 and 15. It says, Then, once we're mature and complete, we will no longer be tossed. We will no longer be like infants tossed back and forth by the waves. By the way, who in the world is putting their infants on the waves? That's why I know. That's a problem, right? Paul, I love his ability to mix metaphors, right? It's like when we, when we become mature and complete, we won't be like babies who are just tossed back and forth on the waves. Um, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunning, cunning and craftiness of people. You get what he's saying. Like Paul can mix all kinds of metaphors in one paragraph, and it's, it's beautiful. And he's like, so, okay, so like when we're first learning faith and we're, we're kind of immature and we're just we're like babies, and, and we can just be tossed back and forth by, hey, there's this idea or there's this, you know, this, this tension or whatever is happening in our world, and we're tossed back and forth. And there are forces at work in the world who, who want to pull you away from Jesus. I mean, there, there are forces at work in the world. Um, the evil one is at work in the world, and he, he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Like, he wants to steal the treasure of unity in the church. He wants to steal your faith. He, he wants to kill your life with God. That's, the evil one wants to do that. And so we, we're aware of that, and, and we need each other uh, to, to guard against that. But when we become mature and complete, we're no longer just like tossed around by every idea, by the cunning and craftiness of people. And instead, what happens, verse 15, and this is like the vision Paul has, he says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every aspect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. Like, this, this is the vision for what Jesus is doing. He's growing us up in him. It's like you, you picture, like, a, a, you know how, like, little kids, their head grows first and then their body? And so, like, get, like they bump their heads all the time because they, like, they're a little bit top-heavy and they, like, lead with their head. They, like, kind of, did my, were my kids the only ones who did this? Like, they always had bruised heads. And, and so, but what happens when they grow is, like, they have this, this really big head, but their, their body begins to fill out to be able to support it. And that's kind of the image here is like Jesus is the head of the church and he has big ideas and big plans and he's leading the church. And so our role is to grow up into him, to like live out of this new identity that we have in him. To, and how do we do that? Man, we do it by speaking the truth in love to each other. Do you know what happens if you speak the truth without love? You've had that happen to you, haven't you? Like somebody just like, boom, hard truth. They, and they speak hard truth, but you don't believe they actually care about you. Do you want to hear what they have to say? If, if people don't like, believe you love them, it doesn't matter what you have to say. It doesn't matter how true it is. You're going to turn people off. Like we earn, we earn the ability to speak truth to each other by our love for one another. 
If we speak the truth without love, it's aggressive and repressive, and it is going to just tear people down and turn people off. You've had that happen, right? Just truth without love, man, it's, it's aggressive. Um, but love without truth, like love, truthless love, on the other side, it's just, it's weak, and it's anemic, and it's passive, and it's just permissive. Like, you just do you. Like, whatever makes you happy. Like, that's fine. I'm just here to love and support you. That's truthless love. And, and that's, neither of those are going to be helpful. In the body of Christ, we speak the truth, the truth of Jesus, the truth of who we're called to be, but we do it in love. And this This is how we grow together. From him, the whole body is joined and held together by every supporting ligament. It grows and builds itself up in love so that each part does its work. There is this high calling on the church, and you're a part of it. And God is gracious, and he's with us, and he's going to lead us. And he promised, like Jesus, um, he promised he's going to build his church. It's his church. He's the Lord, and he's going to build his church, and the gates of hell will not be able to withstand it. That's good news, isn't it? You're part of it. Like, what does it mean for you to live into this? To live into your new identity, your calling. So here's how I want to end. I want, to, um, I want us to read this, this, this prayer statement from Teresa of Avila um, again here at the end. And then I want to just offer a prayer for us. Can we do this? Let's, let's say this together. Christ has no body but yours. No hands, no feet on earth, but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands, yours are the feet, yours are the eyes. You are his body. Christ has no body now but yours. Jesus, fill us with a vision of being your body. It's how you see us. It's, it's what you've called us to. And I pray that as we look at our hands, as we think about like just our feet and our, just our, our broken selves, Lord, that we would see ourselves as we really are in your eyes. That we are called that we are filled with your Holy Spirit, that we are chosen and redeemed, that you want to forgive us and, and give us a new hope and a new future and this calling to be a part of your body in the world. God, I pray for every single one of us, these saints, my brothers and sisters, ministers of the kingdom of God, that our hands and our feet and our words, Lord, it would just make your presence known. You know God, the places you've sent us that, that nobody, nobody else knows. Nobody else knows where we're going, like the, exactly who's around us and, and all of those things, God. But you see and you've called each of us to be a carrier of your gospel in those places. Use us, send us, build your kingdom through us, we pray. And we pray, God, that we would keep, we would guard the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.